and welcome to the To Mom podcast. My name is Valerie Probstfeld. Please join me as we encourage mothers to live their verb while also practicing self-grace. The goal of this podcast is to promote love as an action and live life more authentically. Just think about it. In five generations from now, you will have approximately 30 descendants and the number keeps getting larger and larger. We have more power as moms than we realize. Motherhood, in my opinion, is the most important job in the world. I'm so excited to have my guest here with me today. His name is Jason Cottrell, a former charge nurse who worked in psychiatry and elderly care. However, he gave that up to become the Kara for his mother who died eight years later. He now works in hospice and is the host of the fascinating podcast, Everything End of Life. Jason, thanks so much for being with me today on this podcast. Thanks for having me. Yes, absolutely. Now, Jason, you have such a fascinating life story. Your nursing career, you're an author, theater, negotiation trainer, horse owner, culinary industry, Ukrainian host family for Ukraine, and you also have multiple pets in the house, two dogs, five cats, a tortoise, in addition to your wife and two kids. Is that right? That is correct. Yeah. It's uh, amazing. It's a busy house. Yeah. That's great. Can you tell us some more about your fascinating life? Uh, Okay. Well, strangely to me, it's not fascinating to me. It's just the way way I live, you know. Yeah. I grew up, uh, we moved around a lot as children. Um, my parents, you know, they had different jobs. Uh, but settled, my father died when I was quite young, so my mother looked after us and uh, we settled. She started uh, nursing herself and uh, became a matron of what then we would call part three accommodation, but um, is actually, you know, they'd say an old people coach uh, and nowadays care for the elderly. Um, so it always changes. And so at the age of 14, I was you know, helping uh, ladies and gents to the toilet and back and then calling bingo for them at the same time. So it was a strange uh-huh. strange upbringing, I guess. But when you're actually in it, you just get on with it, don't you? Uh, oh, yeah. Then I trained as a psychiatric nurse. Then uh, after 15, and we did psychotherapy and hypnosis psychotherapy. Um, after 15 years, my mother got sick. So uh, my brother's a carpenter and my sister's an artist. I was the nurse, so who got the job of looking after mum then, eh? Um, <laughs> and I looked after her for eight years, and she was a she was a wonderful lady and a lovely uh, person to look after. The only time she ever got annoyed is if you stood in front of the telly, so she would just oh, have a way, right? Yeah, <laughs> <And then> just, <laughs> just get out of the way. <laughs> just get out of the way, yeah. Uh, and um, <clears throat> yeah, during that time, uh, I did. a BA in performing arts because I'm, you know, I'm not really good at sitting still for very long. And mm-hmm. so, uh, you know, I, and I did have help with carers coming in to help my mother. Um, and putting that together with the psychiatry, I got headhunted by uh, a friend actually called um, John Holmes for Frontline Training Solutions. And they teach international negotiation skills at the Central Banks of Holland, so workshops. Uh, mm-hmm. 
and I became the head trainer for that for a few years, which was um, fascinating. You know, really, really quite. You meet some incredible people, travel to some great yeah. countries. Yeah, it was lovely. Then uh, around the same time as my mother died, I met my wife, my now wife, um, uh, because I was doing amateur dramatics uh, for fun, and she was uh, she just joined the theatre company that, uh, that we were part of, and we kind of more or less instantly fell in love, and that was that really. So she supports me in all the crazy things I do, like. Um, uh, for instance, we were doing a Shakespeare one day and one of the actors, you know, had a bit of a hissy fist fit and stormed off the stage. So she just <laughs> she, she just picked up a script and just stood in for him and read. Oh, that's great. She's four foot eight and she was playing a, you know, 58-year-old uh, Venetian guy. And the audience <laughs> just went with it. So, you know, it's just, she's kind of got that about her. She's wonderful. Um, <clears throat> and that's amazing. Then, yeah, yeah, she's an incredible, incredible life. She won't tell you that. So. Um, <laughs> then uh, also, then after around that time, uh, I started, I suppose it was about 10, 15 years ago, I started a biodiesel company. Um, and, and it became quite obvious, really, to me quite soon that I didn't actually want to do that. So but what I did enjoy doing was travelling around the Essex countryside and the Suffolk borders, just delivering cooking oil and picking up the waste and selling yeah. that. And so that meant I could stay, I could my own business, I could uh, look after my kids, watch them grow up, you know, my time with my own. And I could steal recipes from uh, chefs and, and try them That's out. That's great. Yeah, yeah, I love cooking. It's a fantastic thing. Um, That's amazing. What do you like to cook the most? So, oh, uh, I think one of our favourites is um, confit duck bonbons. So, oh. sorry, we've got a visitor here. Oh, you're fine. Oh, we got the, we got your cat. One of your cats. This is Lola. She's dead. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> One again, yeah. Um, yeah. So, confit duck bonbons, uh, foams, and um, uh, chicken. Uh, you know, there's so many different things you can do with chicken, isn't there? You know, chasseur. Yeah. Uh, Griddled, you know, anything. I just love to cook. I love to try fine dining bits as well. It's, and it's, it's just a tip on fine dining. Most people think you have got to be incredibly good at, at cooking to do fine dining. You don't. You have to be quite slow. Just do it one one bit at a day, one bit in one day, the next day, the next day. Just do the elements and put them all together on one. Oh. Okay. Well, my best one is just freeze everything. So if you're going to make a sauce, <laughs> like a red wine you make a gallon of it. Mm -hmm. And freeze it in little pots, and then you can, you know, when you've got your steak, you can just casually say, and, and would anybody like a red wine jus with that? And everybody, everybody would be slightly impressed. So, you know, tips. That's very impressive. Yeah, I like that. I'll have to try that sometime. Okay, so where uh, it all went horribly wrong was when the um, when COVID turned up, and mm -hmm. all the restaurants got closed down. So, nobody uh, wanted yeah. cooking oil. Um, and I didn't want to go back into nursing, and I, but a friend of mine said, "Well, there's there's some uh, there's some care work doing. You can just you know you don't have to retrain or anything. Just become a carer." I went, "Yeah, all right, I, I, could, I could do that." I had no mm -hmm. idea what it was going to be. Did the interview, and then suddenly realised I'd become an end of life carer. So, and I did yeah. two days, and I just loved it. You know, it was fabulous. 
That's amazing. That's amazing. And I find, you know, I, I think that we really don't talk as much about the death aspect. And when I heard of your podcast, I'm like, this is just something that I feel like we do need to talk about. And just as we talk about life, it's so important to talk about death. And what, what led you to create this podcast of yours and, and wanting to share what you know with your audience? Okay. Well, um, it was a bit of a mistake, to be honest. I was doing some training. <laughs> yeah, going to be. And there was, there was a lady uh, called Dr. Catherine Maddox. And as part of our online training, we had to look at videos and more things. She was talking about the fact that we don't talk about death, but we don't use the word mm-hmm. death or dying. We said, you know, they've yeah. passed on or passed over or whatever. Sure. <clears throat> and, I, and I really took that completely literally and thought, no, we don't talk about death generally. We talk about, as you say, we talk about life. We talk about birth and we get very excited when somebody has a baby and there's, there's a whole industry around that. There's obviously an industry around death, but it's a quiet industry, isn't it? We don't, until we actually start to look at it, uh, or s- something close to us dies, or is, you know, um, it's, it's eternal diagnosis, we don't really, or even ourselves, you know, we don't really look at it, we don't talk about it. Culturally, we look the other way. And it's not surprising, is it? Because nobody wants to look at that thinking, oh my gosh, the party does actually end one day, you know. For some people, of course, with their belief systems, it doesn't. And so mm-hmm. they, they, this is just a part of the journey, which I'm yeah. fine with. I think that's great. You know. um, so I, I thought, you know, I, I was driving around in my van and thinking, well, I've got theatre skills. I could, uh, I could do a podcast. I, I'd never listened to a podcast by then, actually, at that time. But I can't I'd heard about what they were, like little radio snippets or anything like I thought, well, you know, how about? And I, I, I toyed with the ideas of a few different titles. Like, well, one I came up with was uh, "Death, Dying, and Deliveries," and I thought, no, that's going to get that's going to get the wrong idea altogether, isn't it? People are going to start thinking uh, I'm talking about birth deliveries now. Oh, yeah, that's what I was thinking. Yeah, with the deliveries, <laughs> delivering cooking oil, and just chatting with people in my van. Oh, yeah, and uh-huh. then, I'm interviewing people as I'm driving around, and then I thought, I don't think the um, I don't think the police would be too chuffed if I was driving around interviewing people. I think they might find that a road safety problem. So, so, so then uh, I was just writing things down and, and you know putting. I want to put. We have this um, way of writing. We just put EOL, very EOL. This patient is very EOL. You know, so they're getting close to dying, but we just put EOL. And um, I thought, well, that's just that's what I need to talk about. Everything end of life. And that's, that's how the title mm-hmm. came about, as a, as a shorthand for they're, they're very close to dying, our patients. And, um, and I thought, yeah, that's exactly what I, I want to talk about. It's everything end of life. So it's not just about dying specifically, but about all of those processes leading up to when we die. So we talk with a clinical nurse specialist about those what those last four weeks look like. Because whilst we die in different ways from different illnesses, quite often that there's that same pattern of us, you know, becoming more and more sleepy, eating less and less, drinking less and less, and eventually stopping, as it were. Um, and then I thought, well, do you know what? There's so much. Other people started getting excited about the idea. There's so much to talk about. 
So we got a guy called Lee Joshek from Freedom Funerals. And he started to explain that you don't have to have that very Victorian idea of a funeral with everybody in black coats and, you know, the, the guys holding the coffin and going into the chapel of rest. Mm -hmm. You can do whatever you want. You know, you can go in there and have a party if you want, you know. And people have, you know. I mean, when my sister died, we started the funeral session, music off with, um, uh, oh, what was the song? It was uh, Bring Me Sunshine, Bring Me Sunshine. Oh. You know? yeah. And um, it was a really jolly, you know, sort of song. Of course, we're all in tears, but, you know, that's not the point. Mm -hmm. But uh, so he talked, and he's a fascinating guy. He wants, he won't, you know, he won't thank me for telling you, but he, he had a, a, a child who lost their hamster, you know, not lost it, it died, you know. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, so he made a really little cough, small coffin for it, and, you know, he put it on the back of the hearse, and he did the whole procession thing to <laughs> gave it a funeral. Oh. <laughs> All for nothing, you know, so lovely yeah. fellow. And then I, I, I now work for a hospice, but for... Um, for all of my career, I never knew what hospices did. Uh, and mm -hmm. so I get Karen, Dr. Karen Chumley uh, to come and talk about what hospices are, what they offer, the services. They're mostly charities, and uh, everyone's different. Every hospice is slightly different. They offer more or less the same service, but in a different way, because they grow organically to their area as a, as a charity. Mm -hmm. And, you know... So whilst uh, my podcast is not specifically about St. Helena Hospice, it's on my doorstep, so it's kind of handy to, <laughs> to get people to interview from, you know, from there. Sure. Um, but then I've just met a, a minister who uh, um, was in Bosnia during the war, and he, his job was to do workshops with soldiers, the young soldiers, you know, the 18, 20 years old, mm -hmm. uh, who were going to go into battle about you know, how to uh, come to terms with death because their friends might die in war, they might die, you know, how they prepared their relatives. So that's, you know, there's another fascinating thing. That's an interview that's going to be coming up. Mm, um, okay. So when I talk about everything end of life, you know, it really is everything end of life. There's some, another interesting thing culturally, it's very cultural specific here. Mm -hmm. uh, because I, you know, I, in three years working, I'd only met two black people as patients, no Chinese people, no Muslims, no Jewish people. And I, I was beginning a bit thinking everybody else is immortal, but uh, clearly not. I was in a, having a, a chat with a guy who was a, a, from Uganda and a taxi driver, and I said to him, you know, how come we never see black people in, in the hospices? And he said, well, it's because we've got family. We've got extended family. I've got 10 brothers and sisters, sis, you know, and, and we've all got cousins and we all kind of look after ourselves in our own cultural way. Mm. And I thought, oh, mm -hmm. that's, that's something we're going to talk about. So I, I get um, yeah. having cultural leaders. One of my friends is Solma Ahmed. She's a Muslim and she's going to come on talking about uh, how Muslims approach end of life care. And so, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a fascinating area, not just about death. That is really life. fascinating. I feel like we do need to, you know, educate ourselves on this. Like you're saying, everything end of life. And I, it is an important conversation to have and to see how culturally things are different. And I just, and I remember um, listening to that episode um, with the freedom funeral um, and talking about um, the forest and some, and people, um, 
are doing that more. Like, can you tell us about that? I thought that was really interesting because I find the forest to be so spiritual. I mean, I I just love that. That's that's the way I want to be buried, to be honest. Covered in mycelium, turned into mushrooms. I just love that idea. Um, So you can get uh, buried, but, you know, if you want to do it the green way, if you like, in a wicker coffin um, or in a pod, which itself disintegrates as, as quickly as you do, uh, and then they'll plant a tree on top of you. So, you know, your, feed, your body will feed the roots of that tree, as it were. Uh, and mm-hmm. that's just a, a really beautiful way to go. My, my wife, yeah. um, she believes that we are uh, largely energy. And um, mm-hmm. so she kind of thinks, I'm not sure where the energy goes when we die. That's, uh, well, hopefully into a tree for, for, for me or for her. So, yeah, it is. It is. And there's also these... So many different ways people are approaching how they, you know, instead of just being buried or cremated, there's that. Mm-hmm. We, I don't know if you remember, we talked about also uh, literally being melted down and turned into water. You know, so mm. I don't know how how chemically that works. I think it's sodium hydroxide, but, yeah. uh, which is interesting because I used to use that in making biodiesel. So, wow. Yeah, it's, you know, I, I feel like... Um, it really does bring the world into perspective when you think about how we're all related and united and we all have different yeah. beliefs and everything, but there's just so much so that we have in common with this, with this earth and with the world. And yeah. now as far as the topics and things that people want to bring up in their last few months or weeks of life, what do you yeah. feel like are, are important things that, um, they want to talk about what we should talk about. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, sure. I mean, that, that's that's a really interesting point. Is that um, unless we actually do talk about it, then the thing that we notice when we go into people's homes, mostly that people are, is un, unprepared. They, they, you know, this thing has kind of happened to them, uh, and they don't really want to talk about it. Um, so it's, a, it's, it's kind of great when we can have early conversations. So when they have a diagnosis, maybe, you know, at the beginning and say some, instead of someone saying, well, I'm afraid you've got cancer, there's, there's all these treatments we can give you, etc. It's round about that time to start to introduce the idea of my care choices. So we have a my care choices register here, which tells uh, where people record how they want their last few weeks to go, how they want their... Um, Sorry, how they want their uh, death, what their death to look like. So we aim for people not just to have a good death, but to have a beautiful death. See, uh, I was really lucky with my mother, for instance. Um, she died at home, but with all the family around her. And I've had time to have a shower, put on a nice shirt, gather the family around. We all sat down, and within about ten minutes, we watched our last heartbeat. Uh, that was that was a beautiful death. Okay. But before then, we'd had lots of time to, we knew she was going to pass away, but we had lots of time to talk about all the things that she'd done in her life. So all the memories, all the music, all the fun stuff. And it's that kind of thing. I think we should be, you know, if, you, if you're bed bound, for instance, you know, uh, talking about your life and celebrating your life. A very interesting phenomena uh, which I think has probably happened throughout centuries, but 
it's becoming more popular now, is to have a, uh, a living funeral. So instead of everybody gathering to um, celebrate your death after you've died, you know, they come together before you die. And they, you know, they talk with you and say how much they love you and, you know, how much fun you've been and celebrate your life properly with you, let's say. So, you know, I think that's, that's an interesting uh, change around now. Um, yeah. And just enjoying those, you know, from the moment you know we can see the end, you know, filling your time with or helping to fill someone's time with things that they really enjoy doing. Not everybody's the same. Some people just want to, you know, hide away and they find it all very depressing. Some people don't. They want to celebrate. We had one chap. He was amazing. He had this huge party where they had jugglers, fire eaters, uh, ice cream vans, burger vans. And he was in his bed in the middle of the whole of this music kind of festival. Uh, and just for people who wanted to come and say, say goodbye to him. And he took loads of photos. And, you know, but the first time I met him, he just regaled me with all these photos. And we got on really well and just chatted away for probably a good hour. You know, I'm supposed to be nursing him, but we didn't do any nursing that day. We just chatted about how wonderful he had, what a wonderful time he'd had during that time. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. And I, that reminds me of, um, we had you know, a friend pass away recently and I wanted to talk with my husband about, you know, it kind of like made me be like, well, we need to talk more about this. And we, when we went out, like I, we had like a date night that I'm like, let's talk about, you know, just the logistics and everything. But when, I don't know, I just wasn't really in the mood to talk serious stuff. I wanted to talk more about our friend and what the conversation kind of evolved into was, you know, we should just talk about stories of our lives. Like, so you know, people remember like what, what happened in your childhood? What, like what happened with, you know, in my, in my friend's life, but also like what happened in your childhood? What happened in my childhood? And let me write that down so we can share these stories together. Cause that is so much of, you know, celebrating our yeah. lives and having that kind of, yeah. those that's conversations. A, a, it's a brilliant thing that you just talked mm-hmm. about there because it's what we should as couples, as families, as people be doing just generally. Is making more of, yeah. so what was your life like before I met you, you know, uh, and uh, and celebrating all those strange and silly things that we do uh, and um, and even some of the sad times that we've had and how we've got through them and supported each other. You know? it's, it's that brilliant yeah. thing of actually living for the now. You know? that's, that's the most Absolutely. important thing. So I've, I've, actually, I've written a book uh, which describes... Um, my first two days, my first 15 visits in a hospice, and I'll be publishing it shortly. You know, it's called The Last Kiss. And in it, that is, you'll see sorts of uh, examples of exactly that, people celebrating uh, the last few moments sometimes of their lives. So, mm-hmm. yeah. That'll be really interesting. When... Yeah, for sure. Let us know because that'll be really interesting to read. I think it reminds me of... Um, a quote that I first saw it in Gretchen Rubin's um, book, but she did a lot of research on quotes. And this one came from William Edward Hartpole Leckie, which is quite a name. But um, yeah. I, I, I always remembered it, though, ever since I saw it. And he says, there are times in the lives of most of us when we would have given all the world to be as we were, but yesterday. 
though that yesterday had passed over us unappreciated and unenjoyed. So it, it just really reminds me of living in the present, embracing the present. And you know, it can yeah. be so monotonous life sometimes, but it's amazing to be alive and to be breathing and, and being in the here and so, now. I mean, like, you know, the chances of us being here, sitting here, having this conversation on a rock that is hurtling through space thousands of miles an hour <laughs> with nothing else around it. I mean, how unlikely is that? And yet here we yeah. are. And it, you know, I think it's, it is carpe diem, seize the moment. Um, mm-hmm. It should be for everything. And my wife, we were Absolutely. just driving driving in the van uh, the other day, because every Friday she'd take a day off and, and she comes with me and we drive around Essex and stuff and chat with uh, restaurateurs and, um, you know, I deliver their cooking oil and just have a laugh. And she just turned to me and she said, I feel so lucky, you know, that we've got each other and we've, we can afford food, you know, um, even when we couldn't. There have been times when it's been a bit tough, I can tell you. We haven't been up to... You know, afford very much, but now we're kind of okay. And mm-hmm. we've got this beautiful countryside around us. We've got red kites above us. We've got sheep and horses, and and uh, you know, so much wildlife. I saw a badger a little while ago. You know, oh. which was incredible. So I'm just driving around, and she just wanted to say, you know, you know, I'm so lucky. I don't know that we've got it. You know, we've got each other as a couple. Now, I don't think you need to have be a couple to just take stock of your life and go, actually, do you know what? 200 years ago, they never knew what a washing machine was, you know. Mm-hmm. So if you've got a laundrette, so, uh, yeah, great. <laughs> it's crazy, isn't it? We, we, we've got to take these moments where we just really appreciate what we've got. But I think that's why we've got so many animals and, uh, um, and well, lots of friends, really. Maybe I can't stop that's- talking to you. That's amazing. Yeah, I think and, and animals really do. I mean, like, I feel like when I'm watching nature and all of that, I know you you mentioned red kites. You said you had um, some information about that's that's a bird. Is that right? Red kites? Yeah, they. it's um, it's quite a large bird. It's uh, um, about the size of a buzzard. OK. Uh, and, um, and, but they died out around here and they just reintroduced them a few years ago and they're doing really well. Uh, and interestingly, when my father-in-law died, I, I'd nursed him for about five weeks at the beginning of the year, um, and he passed away. And when they were taking his body out, um, I was stood outside, and my wife was accompanying him downstairs, and you know, uh, the undertakers. They were really nice, <laughs> really beautiful um, people. They left the rose on his bed, made his bed, left the rose on it. Um, and uh, when I looked up, there was a red kite circling above the house. And I'd never seen a red kite in Sudbury ever before. You know, it's just, they're just not there. And uh, my wife has taken that as, you know, that's because he used to be a pilot, my dad. And so she's taken that as every time she sees a red kite, so she sees him, which is lovely. That's beautiful. That reminds me of my grandpa when he passed away. Um, I, it was when my my youngest, she was just born, and he wasn't able to meet her. And I remember, like, stepping outside. It was in the summertime, and I saw um, a really bright star. It ended up being, I believe it was Jupiter. Um, but I just really felt like his presence and meeting 
my daughter. And so I told my other two kids about that moment. And still to this day, like, uh, whenever I see that planet in the sky, like I think of him watching over um, yeah. when we were in the hospital, I saw that very brightly. Um, I'm like, oh, well, there's grandpa watching over us. And my daughter, my older one, she'll like talk with my son about, oh, there's great grandpa and he's looking at us right now. And I just, yeah. I, I love those type of, you know, just uh, symbols. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. It's factually incorrect, which I don't know. I mean, who can tell? But it's beautiful yeah. to think that that is that's actually happening. I, I, you know, I don't yes. often believe in what people believe in, but I do believe in the power of belief. That, you know, that is an amazing thing. Yes, I, I love that because yeah, everyone does have their own beliefs, but yeah. there is the power. There's such a power in belief. Yeah, that's. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. Um, now, what can we do? I mean, we talked a little bit about this already, but like as far as creating a legacy and all, like um, I, I know for me, like I'm on a mission to like write my life story for my kids and all of that. Like I really want them to, you know, um, be able to read something. Um, is there, do people do writing or what, what kind of legacies? I mean, also just with the way we teach our kids, the way we interact with others, spreading love. Um, <coughs> what do people talk about with their legacies? Okay. So we're, we're in this incredible time where we've got video, you know, yeah. and, uh, I, you know, I had this one person that was really funny. He made a video where he had it in the chapel of rest and he was talking to uh, everybody who was watching his body going, you know, possibly cremated. And he was telling people off and <laughs> saying, you know, don't you be sitting there crying, you know. Go out there and really enjoy your life. And he was giving little life lessons that he'd learned on this little video. And I think that is, uh, that's a lovely thing to do. We've got technology, so you can record yourself singing. You know, if you love singing, if you love karaoke, record that for your kids, you know. Uh, my father... Uh, it's, it's gone in pure, nobody knows where it is now, but um, they had reel-to-reel cassettes, okay? So they had two big reels and they were with a microphone. And he recorded the Silver Snapple, so a little story that he made up about us three kids uh, <clears throat> going down a country lane through a fog and uh, meeting these magical talking horses. And it was all about us learning to ride and them teaching us how to ride and talking to us and falling off the horse and ending up underneath it. And, you know, and it was beautiful. And I remember that vividly. And that's the only time I can remember his voice. It was from Liverpool. And a very Liverpoolian voice. So, and having that memory, even though I don't have the tape, you know, I can still remember that. I think that's beautiful. Having actual physical uh, manifestations of your folks, you know, and probably bring you to tears, but at the same time, you're there, you can appreciate them, you know. And we've got lots of things like that, that people can do. You know, you might not be a great singer, you might not be a great storyteller or a great sculptor, but you can talk and you can, you know, like you were saying earlier, when you were remembering your childhood and things that you do, you can talk about that on video yeah, and give mm -hmm. uh, messages to your kids and, you know, jokes, you know. Uh, make them laugh, you know, lots of things. I think there's, there's so many different ways of celebrating 
when I'm gone, I, I've, I've recorded a couple of songs. Um, I'm not a great singer, so uh, but they can, you know, they can play those back. And oh my God, that Daddy was really not a great singer, was it? Please <laughs> listen to that. And, <laughs> so yeah, there's lots. Of, yeah, I think so. Um, yeah. No, it's not to say, make memories. That's the thing. Make memories real. Make them physical. You know, sculptures, if you want to, painting, you know, whatever floats your boat, you know, do it with the kids. That's wonderful. I, yeah, I think those are great ideas. And um, I know, like, with my grandma, who is very special to me, I wrote a lot about her um, in my writings. Like, what I remember, and it wasn't necessarily physical what she did, but it was in a way, was she smiled. Like, there was a very... Um, just like her smile, I remember so much, and 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 it's um one that's like burned in my memory. So when I think of her, I smile like her, um, with my kids, with my family, and I feel like in a way that that honors her legacy. And um, yeah, yeah, it's um, and I know recently, um, like with our um. We had a few friends um, pass away uh, recently, like with um, cancer and all. Where um, it's hard to talk about sometimes. I feel yeah. like you know they're still on my phone, and I try to you know you think oh I can call them, but they're yeah. not there. Where are they? And when I took a walk, kind of shortly after, I it was up in Wisconsin, um, and Wisconsin like has some beautiful churches on hills. And they all like reach tall to the sky. And I know in Europe, you know, so many cathedrals that reach so high. But at the same time, it made me think like, gosh, like, is everyone up above us or are they more around us or maybe both? Like, but like, it makes me think of like with um, one of my favorite composers as a musician is Johann Sebastian Bach and his, um, I really love his cello piece. Um, uh, I think it's G major, his cello piece in G major. It's, uh, most people have heard of it, but like he, when he he says that at a performance, like God is around us in in the music. He was very religious, and it makes me think of like when I'm hearing that cello piece, it really is like I'm inhaling and exhaling. Like there's music all around me. It's not necessarily above me. I don't know. It just got me thinking about how there's you know, with water, water can be a gas or like, you know, it could be steam, it can be liquid or it can be ice. Like there's different forms. Um, yeah. And, and yeah, that's just like, with some of my thoughts, I would say, like uh, no, during no, the last few years. Uh, just a little hint. I think there's actually a society of people who appreciate Buck. Um, uh, certainly it's one in England. So you know, oh. you're part of a club. Yeah. I you should. should look it up. I should look yeah, it up. But, yes, he's my favorite composer. I absolutely, I mean, I think you're right. certainly when when you're listening to music, you know, and that is one of those things that is evocative. Uh, my daughter loves to sing every Christmas the fairy tale of New York by the Pogues. I don't know if you know this song, <clears throat> but it has some swearing in it, and I think she only likes singing it because it's uh, it's got some swearing in it. Uh, but it's a it's a two person, <laughs> you know. It's um it's a her and him song and we both sing it together so that she can swear at me I think, but that is very evocative. Funnily enough, it's almost a silly. It's it's a beautiful song, but um, it's something that we've done together. And every time she hears that when I'm gone, you know, 
I, I, even now, I can feel myself welling up thinking, what? You know, that's going to be hard for her. But beautiful too. Mm. You know, yeah. does that song, they play that song at Christmas here every year. One of those Christmas songs that you get. So, you know, have that music being for you, you know, you, as I say, you don't have to play it. But you can mm. still be a part of it, you know. A real, some pieces of music just go through you, don't they, you know. Uh, and Absolutely. you become a part of it because here's one thing I used to do anxiety management and uh, hypnosis. <clears throat> one of the things that you mentioned cathedrals, and I remember a, a lady who was really in quite an anxious state that wanted had a family, they all stood on a, a staircase, it was an old, very old building, and she was waiting to see a psychiatrist. And they called me over and said, Well, you know, she's in a real bit of a anxious state, and she was shaking and and quite, um, quite anxious. So we, I sat down next to her and I said, did you ever, did you ever go to a cathedral? And she said, yes, well, yeah, I did. Uh, and I said, well, you know, what was that like? Was it, was it empty at the time? And she's having to go inside to start thinking about that. And I said, well, what, what, what did it, was it cold? You know, did it feel cold when you were in there? And she, you know, she said, well, a little bit. Uh, and I said, what is it, do you remember, did you ever light a candle? And she said, well, yeah, yeah, I was Catholic, and I used to, you know, we used to light the candles and put a penny in the box for the priest. And I said, did you ever sniff the candle out, snuff the candle out with your fingers, you know, like that? And she said, oh, yeah. I said, what did that smell like? And, of course, all of these, I'm getting her to go inside and access all these memories. And then I said, well, do you know, most of these churches are really leaky, but can you imagine if a drop of water dropped from the top? Could you do that in slow motion? And watch that go down in slow motion, and then hit the font, and watch the water splash out in slow motion. And of course, you know it took a bit longer than this, but by the time it finished, she was really chilled out, <laughs> really relaxed. Wow! Because because that's a way of helping somebody to reduce their anxiety, because they're focused on all the problems, but you start to go mm -hmm. back on the inside and reconnect with yourself and your memories in a calm place. You can help calm somebody down really quickly. So <clears throat> that is something that we do with music as well. We tend to go, you get lost in it, don't you? You go into the music and you go inside yourself. I just imagine when you're playing, outside here, all of this disappears quite often. Mm -hmm. you know, you're not looking across at the room at the audience. You might do, I don't know. But you know, if you're playing some beautiful piece of music, quite often if I'm playing music uh, or the guitar and I'm singing, I've lost everybody out here. I'm just singing and enjoying it in the moment. And I think that's a really important part of life, enjoying the moment. Absolutely. So that's really, yeah, that's really all we have. Like in, I talk about time travel in our heads sometimes, and I'll have to use that for anxiety because I sometimes will have anxiety. And I, oh, yeah. I feel like I'm taking my own time machine there. Like, And I can't <laughs> take anyone with me in that time machine to the future I can't take anyone with me with my ruminating of the past and thinking of the past. But what I can do is be in the present moment with my family and with my friends. And because um, that's really what life is. It's in the moment. And interesting that, you know, you said you get anxious. We all get anxious. You need anxiety. You know, if we didn't have yeah. anxiety, walk in front of a bus wouldn't you? because you wouldn't be scared. Of it. So, you know, certain amounts of anxiety are very useful. Uh, and absolutely. Yeah, and I think, it's, I think it's keeping it all in in perspective, really, isn't it? Or, or coming back, because we do we all lose perspective. 
especially when, you know, when the kids come and say, well, I've done something really terrible. What have you done now? You know, like, uh, and now, <laughs> how bad is that? Is that going to end the world? No, it probably isn't. You know, so, yeah, keeping things in perspective and enjoying Absol- moments. Absolutely. Now, um, Jason, you um, talk about your wife, and I, I know you mentioned a little bit about her earlier, but um, she sounds like an amazing person. Can you tell us more about your wife? Yeah, uh, <clears throat> yes, I can. Talk about her brows. Um, <laughs> she, she's, she's, uh, she's not very tall, that's all I'll say. Um, and, uh, but she's beautiful. When I first met her, she reminded me of a small elf, that's all I'm saying. Um, and, uh, and we met at the theatre company and I don't think I, you know, I was, that was, I was 37, I think when we met, she was 30 and, uh, I, I've had lots of different relationships, uh, over the years. Uh, but I, I, I don't think I could really settle with anybody because uh, I wanted somebody who wanted to do stuff. You know, I only, I didn't want somebody who wanted to just go to work, sit and watch the telly. Drink a bottle of wine, whatever to know. Uh, but I wanted somebody who was, you know, I always felt I wanted someone to join me on my journey, if you like, to um, to share, you know. And I think you know we got that from day one because I I was supposed to be her director, so, so we were doing some little playlists uh, to celebrate the millennium, uh, some little performances, and she'd been assigned to my little troupe um, for the Colchester Theatre Group. I think. And, uh, and I said, that's pretty bit cheeky, but I said, uh, well, I think um, we'll need to do some rehearsals. And she said, oh, okay, then. I said, yeah, so we'll do a reading. Uh, and so we could meet at the Georgian, we could do a reading. Of course, none of the other actors turned up because I hadn't invited them. I just, um, just my wife. So, so she turned up and we, we just started getting on. Started, that was my way of cheating a date uh, and getting <laughs> on. We're going to do some rehearsals. We didn't do any rehearsals at all. Um, <laughs> but we did fall in love. So uh, she, she, and then she would, every time I wanted to do something crazy, she'd be there right behind me saying, instead of saying, well, do you think that's a good idea? Which she does. Uh, and I will say, well, yeah, yeah, it's a great idea. You know, um, she'll be right there behind me saying, oh, okay, well, let's do that. So she helped me do, you know, start the theatre company, and um, helped every part of that, even, you know, with the acting, sometimes you could step in if you didn't have enough actors. And she was a yes person. Uh, she would say no quite a lot, but actually she's a yes person. She's a yes I have found over the years. She's so good with the girls, with my girls, our girls. Um, and she is a real nurturing mum. You know, she will get them to take a chance to take a next step. Um, and she'll also make sure that they've, they've got clean clothes and they're properly dressed, you know, and their manners are well spoken and, you know, um, she's very good and hot making sure that they are aware of what they should be doing, not necessarily forcing them to do that, but leading them to, for example, do uh, behave well, you know. She lets them That's fall. That's amazing. Yeah, she lets them fall as well. So if they, for instance, they get a boyfriend who is uh, a bit out there. She'll say, well, you know, what do you really think? You know, is it a good idea? And they'll eventually go, no, probably not. Okay. <laughs> and, uh, so she leads, 
not by stick, but more by carrot. And that I think is is a real um, it's a real amazing character trait for every any mum to have. I think as a dad, I'm there, you know, to just shout and say, "What, are you, what, are you, what on earth are you bringing this boyfriend into the house for? He's a complete idiot," you know. <laughs> where she'll be much more softly, softly, and she'll go up to the room and have a chat with them. Where I start just, you know, fire and brimstone. Um, yeah. Uh, so yeah, she, she's the bridge. Uh, I'm very lucky. My girls, you know, they love both of us. We love them. All families have conflicts, but we don't have that many. Yeah, we're in a really good spot. I think a lot of that is down to Debbie being the calm person and you know saying right it's got this brilliant elephant it's a it's a little cardboard elephant and it's so if i get angry with the girls uh she will get the elephant out and then i'll i'll be able to hold the elephant and i'll be able to talk and then i have to give the elephant to the girls and the girls then are allowed to talk and i'm not allowed to say anything so they finish saying their piece you know and then i might yeah you know and so so we don't have rows and it doesn't all go mad you know um, uh, mm-hmm. so she's a very good, she's a great peacemaker, you know. And then we all end up usually having a family hug, you know. Oh, oh, oh. oh no, it's been a delight. I've really enjoyed it. I had so much fun talking with Jason today, and I hope y'all enjoyed our conversation together. If you want to follow Jason on his podcast, the name again is Everything End of Life, and it's available on Spotify. He also will be making it available on other streaming services soon. And to follow my podcast, um, go ahead and hit that subscribe button as well as check me out on social media at Valerie underscore Propsfeld and my website, twomomistolove.com. I hope you all have a wonderful day.